honestly, you guys, I just want to start with the fact that I cannot believe that I had to fight so hard for what I thought <laughs> was surely an obvious choice. You thought he was a shoo-in. <laughs> Wait, to t- I brought receipts, guys. Hello, world, there's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. A whole lot of loving is what we'll be bringing. Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who give a hoot and don't pollute. And you will never, not ever, catch them throwing litter out of a station wagon window, ever. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we will be saving the boys torn from the pages of Tiger Beat for our preteen viewing pleasure in the Pop Culture Preservation Society's official countdown of the top 10 teen idols of the Tiger Beat era. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle, and we are your pop culture preservationists. Come on, get happy. The preteen pop star crush is a universal phenomenon. It's your first clunky attempt at love, and it pops up in every generation. Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley, The Beatles, David Cassidy, Rick Springfield, The Backstreet Boys, Hanson, Justin Bieber, One Direction, Shawn Mendes. Do you want me to keep going? You had one, your mom had one, your daughter had one, and there are millions of people out there having one right now. Hashtag Harry Styles. And once you get past it, it becomes a treasured part of your history, something that brings you joy each time you revisit it. That's so true. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> and growing up in the 70s and 80s provided us with a steady diet of adorable pop stars, gracing the covers of Teen Beat, Tiger Beat, and Dynamite magazines with headlines like, Are You the Girl for Andy? or When Leaf's Dinosaur. Totally serious <laughs> about that, by the way. <laughs> A headline suggesting that Donny Osmond might actually call you up and ask you to marry him launched a generation of love affairs. They were love affairs in which the two people had never actually met, but it could still happen, right? Yes. Oh, yes, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. And the magazine that was inarguably the most revered, the most coveted, the most trusted source of intel on our crushes was Tiger Beat. Were you Mm -hmm. even a preteen in the 70s and 80s if you didn't read Tiger Beat? So Tiger Beat was the brainchild of Chuck Lauffer, a high school English teacher who wanted to encourage more kids to read. So what better way to do that than to plaster a magazine with celebrities, teen crushes of preteen girls in the 70s, 80s, and the 60s? The first issue featuring the Righteous Brothers hit newsstands in 1965 and cost only 35 cents. A journalism and English teacher at Beverly Hills High School, Lawfer thought this magazine devoted to teen interests would be a success, and his timing was fortuitous. The monkeys were just beginning to explode in popularity, and Tiger Beat saw its circulation rise when it profiled the fun-loving group. Well, you guys, the magazine did not feature hard-hitting exposés, but rather the news we wanted to hear. News like, what were our idols' favorite colors? What was their idea of the perfect date? At its peak in the 1970s, Tiger Beat and its sister publications reached roughly 2 million readers a month. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Mm -hmm. The last issue was published in December of 2018. 
So the heyday of Tiger Beat was the late 60s to the early 80s, which is our sweet spot, you guys, right? Right. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it's, that was sure. when we Gen Xers were just starting to notice boys. The 70s and the 80s in particular offered up an overwhelming cornucopia of tigers from which to choose <laughs> on TV, on the radio, in the movies. And if you were anything like us, listeners, your walls were covered covered with eight and a half by 11 inch posters painstakingly torn from the pages of Tiger Beat. God forbid the staples were on the face. Uh, oh, no. No, that <laughs> not was not okay. No, exactly. <laughs> uh, but this was how we decorated our rooms and how we expressed mm-hmm. our identities, how we practiced kissing oh, uh, yes. <laughs> and how we fell in love. And yeah. those posters, those posters on our walls told our moms that we were growing up. Yeah. So today we are going to put on our pro-crushologist hats to determine which of those lovers were the best of the best. Who were the best teen idols of the Tiger Beat era? For our purposes, we are going to use the years 1967 to 1981, roughly from the Monkees to Rick Springfield, when Tiger Beat was really at its most bountiful. And we've created what we are calling the Crushology Scale, a numerical device for measuring and determining the 10 best teen idols of our childhood. And one of them... Just one will be deemed the number one teen idol of the Tiger Beat era, as determined by us. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Right. Because it's our podcast. Um, Okay, so what is the Crushology scale? Can I ask a question? Yes. Is it like the Yatsky scale? Yes, it is. Oh. It is modeled after the Yatsky scale. Which means that what we say goes. That is right. Okay, good, good. We get to decide. We invented it. That's it's right. our rules. Okay. Yes. So how did we determine who were the top 10 teen idols of the Tiger Beat era? It was based on four criteria. Yes. The first one we looked at was the hysteria factor, the ability to inspire hysteria and do uncharacteristic things. Like, I don't know, does anybody know someone who threw their arms around David Cassidy <laughs> during a Las Vegas concert and maybe didn't let go for a long time? <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know. I I, I think I someone know. whose name rhymes with Tristan, perhaps, <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> and it was a moment of hysteria. Yes. And Tristan, how old were you? Um, I was in my mid thirties. <laughs> so long wait, lasting wait, wait. hysteria. Just, Kristen, yeah. remember when we were at Sean Cassidy and we said, wow, we're looking around and we're like, everybody falls into one of two camps. Back then you were in that other camp, maybe just a I little may have bit, been where you really it was couldn't just a, let um, the crush go. Yeah. It was a moment where I took leave of my senses. Mm-hmm. Just a moment. But you yes. got to do it. Yes. I did. How great and is she that? has not showered mm-hmm. since. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know that I've told you all my first concert was, uh, not my first concert, but my, um, a bit, my first like big deal concert was Duran Duran. Mm-hmm. And I remember my friends and I, this is in 1984. And my friends and I, the way I have always described it is as if we were at the beat, the, all that footage you see of when people would see the Beatles, we were grabbing onto each other until we were about to fall down, screaming and <sighs> sobbing and crying when Duran Duran, when the lights came up and, that's hysteria. That yes, is, that is. is hysteria. Yes. That's, that's taking how, what I, and I experienced senses. it. Yeah. yeah. You, mm-hmm. you lose control. Mm-hmm. You totally yeah. lose mm-hmm. control. Um, so yeah, so hysteria was one of the factors we looked at. And then cover domination. 
How many times did the teen idol that we were looking at make the cover of Tiger Beat? Mm-hmm. Through those years, Our 1967 yes. through 1981. Mm-hmm. Correct. And then we looked at ubiquity factor. Ubiquity, that is a that is a $5 word there, isn't it? <laughs> ubiquity sure. factor. I am guilty of that sometimes. What we mean by that is where and how often did we see or hear them? Like, what was their level of visibility on the radio, on TV, et cetera? Um, Mm -hmm. And then number four was Salesforce. Um, Albums, posters, concert tickets, merch, (laughs) lunchboxes, (laughs) trading cards. Um, Basically, we were looking at stats. Okay, so then. Then, as the self-proclaimed pro-crushologist in the group, I had the daunting task of taking those 10 people and ranking them in order of impact or effect on our culture or notoriety or legacy or, honestly, after years of studying teen idol crushes amongst people who are my age, I also depended on a sixth sense of who embodies the title of teen idol the most. Yes, I used data, but I also used my spidey senses. And I I Um, just want to tell everyone... Your spidey senses are on fleck. Do they or flee? Thank Never. you. <laughs> Is that on fleck? Oh, take that out. That, no, no that, please that's leave it in. That please is on fleck. That reminds that me of what was, was the definitely episode a where moment. she called him the Mister Rapper or something. That's oh, the rapper, yeah. the rapper gentleman. The rapper gentleman. The rapper gentleman. I love the rapper gentleman. That was in, um, Schoolhouse Rock episode. <laughs> yeah, we it's all to say. In. That Kristen does have a sixth sense, mm-hmm. and she—it's her special power. Yeah, it is. It is. It's my—it's my superpower, and that's why I'm living my best life right now at this moment. You guys, <laughs> this is my best life. So the three of us, we bring a lot of knowledge to the table, but we also bring a lot of feelings mm-hmm. about this topic yep. and these people. And we need you to know that as we sat around the table discussing these assessments, trying to determine who deserved to be in our top ten, it got. A little tense. <laughs> hey, I was hungry, okay? And I was having a hot flash that lasted about six hours. <laughs> yes. Okay, so you're telling me, though, that after playing um, the guy in Saturday Night Fever, his name out, and, and then Danny Zuko, when John Travolta stepped outside, the girls didn't want to, like, you rip his alone head off. Yes, I think it's no, definitely eight, a nine. No, what I mean is eight is high. Eight is, eight is like, that's a really good score. I think it's higher. I think it's higher, so though, I'm saying. So then where do you put David Cassidy? Like David Cassidy and Chuck has your tens, and I think John Travolta would have been like. Uh, He's like if John Travolta is an eight, David Cassidy is a fourteen. Okay, well yeah. I'll defer to you guys. I don't, I don't mind. This <laughs> could be our first argument. <laughs> now I'm all worried that. Listen, I can't even think about this anymore. I think Michelle's going to go home and tell Brian that we're mean to her no. and that we were, like, didn't want John Travolta on there. And Carolyn was like, "No." Or, uh, this is too hard. This might be too hard. I don't know. Maybe we have to have a top nine. <laughs> We just quit while we're ahead. Who are these people? How many are up there? We have nine. Oh my God, somebody please just throw a dart. Who are these people? Perfect. That, let's just give her Jimmy McNichol. And that guy. Remember him, Michael Gray. Oops. Let's just give her Jimmy McNichol. No. That's not accurate. And we were talking about John Travolta. And it was hard. Jimmy was hard work, you guys. Yes. Yes. Yes, it's hard. Yeah, and I think we all had kind of our own perceptions of what makes a teen idol, and that mm-hmm. kind of coupled with our personal crush memories mm-hmm. made us, or me maybe, um, very stubborn and <laughs> unflexible <laughs> in some of our choices. 
but we yeah. tried. We did we our did. best. We tried to we be did. as objective as we could. And um, I think it's a testament to our friendship is that we can all be, we can have these heated discussions with each other. And some people who will remain nameless, I'm here raising my hand, can get hangry and bratty. And, and, every, and I know that everybody still loves me. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And then we come back and, and we mm-hmm. record the next day. It's all good. It it's all, all good. Yeah. Okay. And so for all of you listening, um, hangry or not, it might get tense for you too, because I'm sure you're waiting to hear your crush announced in the number one spot. But listen, listen, please don't at us. Don't send us emails, <laughs> suspicious packages. You can go ahead and yell at us on whatever device you're listening on. And we respect your opinions. We do. But we can't hear you, people. We can't hear you. We love you, but we can't hear you. (laughs) They're all yelling at their phones right now. (laughs) I was going to say radios. They're probably not yelling at their radio. So we also need you to know that we did not include any groups as a whole. So you won't find the Bay City Rollers on this list. No matter how much you love them, because polygamy is a crime. You can only marry one person at a time, so no groups. Um, and plus, I was confused by their haircuts. Oh, so I didn't confused. get it. Yeah, I but know. I, didn't, I just you know I what we love use, their music. My mom used to say. Haircuts. My sister had a poster of them on the wall, and my mom used to say it looks like some of them have hair dryers that are built into the top of their skull that are just always on on. <laughs> and Doesn't that isn't that a good that? visual yeah. though? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I love them. I love them, but I don't understand. But you also won't find any Jackson 5 either for the same reason. And plus, then we'd have to talk about Michael Jackson, and we don't know how to do that yet. We're working on it. It's we're true. working on it. It's we're true. figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also worth mentioning that teen magazines were super segregated. So if you were looking for the Jackson 5, you were not going to find them on the cover of Tiger Beat too often. Not never. Just not that often. The, the, n- the amount of covers that they were on didn't tell the story of how popular they really mm-hmm. were. So you'd have to buy Jet Magazine or Ride On or Ebony for that, which is why people often wonder why it seems like all the teen idols were white guys. That's your mm-hmm. answer right there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so all the caveats are out of the way. Are you guys ready? Oh, we so ready. ready. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do this. And now on with our countdown. number 10 spot we have two people <laughs> oh Kristen I know it's not me Hashtag it's not Kristen. me I know no no I'm not taking responsibility for this one it's true not because it wasn't a numerical tie per se more because the feelings in the room when we were discussing this got very big and we're the bosses and it's our count- countdown so we decided that Carolyn's voice really needed to be honored here because she fought so hard so it Carolyn was, tell us a good who debate. is in the number 10 spot Honestly, you guys, I just want to start with the fact that I cannot believe that I had to fight so hard for what I thought was surely an obvious choice. You thought he was a shoe-in. Wait, I brought receipts, guys. Wait till you hear why Jimmy McNichol is squeaking in at number 10. Okay, gosh, he should be higher, but okay, number 10. All right, friends, listen up. We saw him all over our TV screens. He was in TVs and movies from the early to mid-70s with guest roles on some popular TV shows, um, but then moved on to have two television series, not one, but two, 
the Fitzpatricks and California Fever. Tuesday on California Fever, a foxy brunette cons Jimmy McNichol into betting his car on a drag race. Catch all the action on California Fever Tuesday at 8, 7 Central. And this is where his ubiquity factor, you guys, I think, I might say it eclipses everyone else. <laughs> In our list. Wow. Um, <laughs> eclipses? That's a big word, uh, I know. She is. Well, okay. She is Listen, right, I'm putting it all on the table. I am. So I've already mentioned the two TV series. Then he had a talk show, a weekly talk show that he was the host of called Hollywood oh, I didn't Teen. Know that. He also had his very own, not with his sister, not with anyone else, his very own TV special aptly titled The Jimmy McNichol Special. And it featured guests like Magic Johnson, Donna Pescow. I mean, is she just going to go on anyone? Donna Pescow? Yes, Angie. <laughs> she's not going to go on just anyone's TV special. No, Th- she's This gives not. him some cred. Or some cred. Um, Conrad Bain was also on there. Ricky Schroeder. <laughs> Mr. Drummond. <laughs> oh, yes. Big stars. He Big. creeped me out. Yes. Five movies, you guys, including my all-time favorite made-for-TV movie, Champions, A Love mm. Story. This is the one that got Carolyn. Mm-hmm. This is what made her a lifelong oh, fan of Jimmy McNichol. His, his dramatic the, chops. It was the, it was the <laughs> unitard. <laughs> or beyond. The it's big onesie. so good. And I think you can still watch it. I, I can still visualize the scenes. I won't spoil it for anyone. But, How oh, have we so not good. been browbeaten to make that an um, entire podcast episode yet? Oh, oh we're going to. It's oh, coming. We we're going to do a recap of Champions of Love Story for oh, sure. for sure. Yeah. Out yes. of doubt. It's coming. It's a, it's a classic. He was also in not one but two after-school specials. He appeared on Battle of the Network Stars, The Carpenter's Christmas Special. He was in The Love Boat as a guest role, but not just a one-part episode. It was a two-parter. They had it on. To be continued. A to be continued. Not everybody had that. I don't think Scott Baio had one of those. One hour wasn't big enough for Jimmy. Yeah, so right. They were like, we need more Jimmy. <laughs> we need more Jimmy. On this boat. <laughs> um, and then, of course, he did have his album with his sister uh, called Christy and Jimmy McNichol album. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't super creative with the names of his stuff. No. But, no. you know, that's because his name spoke for itself. I mean, oh, people saw oh, Jimmy McNichol. Excellent answer. That's a really They knew that answer. you were going to buy it if it said Jimmy McNichol on it. So they're like, why well, try hard? Yeah. That's right. And it wasn't just me buying it, okay? There were... <laughs> Millions upon millions of young girls and, and boys, perhaps, that loved him as much as I did. Um, that he would go, he was on American Bandstand. He's so fine from that album, actually hit the Billboard charts. So, I mean, right there, I could probably just drop the mic and we'd be fine. But I, I'll tell you a little bit more. We do have a finite time limit, Carolyn. So we do have to end in two hours. I do hours, have Carolyn. to get out of here yeah. at a certain time. Well, so, I just we've, got not, def- we've got 10 more to go. Right. <laughs> I'll go fast. I did want to defend his hysteria factor because I really think okay. if you are a um, star on television, you don't have as much opportunity to be like packing the amusement parks or whatever with your two That's songs true. that you sing. If so, you don't have a concert, yeah. Right. How do you gauge so, the hysteria trust factor? Me, I was going hysterical in my living room in Katy, Texas. So. There was hysteria. It wasn't just maybe mass hysteria that you have video footage Individual of hysteria. Correct. Yeah. Um, and he did have some sales uh, chops. I mean, there were poster sales. There were the album sales. And while he may not have been on the cover of Tiger Beat as much as other celebrities, he definitely was in the pages. Like, mm-hmm. he might not have been on the cover, Inside. but he was in yeah. Tiger Beat. And he also was uh, appeared on the cover of People and Us. 
with his sister Christy, but that's okay too. <laughs> so I think. And didn't you, um, didn't you tape record issues, 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 episodes of the Fitzgerald on your little Panasonic <laughs> okay. tape recorder? Can, can I put you in fangirl jail right now? Yeah. It's Fitzpatrick, <laughs> it's Fitzpatrick. Wait, what did I say? Fitz, what did I say? Gerald? Oh, sorry. Let's cut that. <laughs> No, we're not. It's gonna ruin it. my reputation. Our pro crushologist doesn't Wait, even know. I have the to sit in fangirl jail like every third episode. No, it's about time <laughs> someone else took my cell. Slamming those doors right now. And yes, I'm but I don't know why I missed that show, but I did. Yeah. I did you know why miss you missed show. it? I don't know. because CBS put it because it was only on for like five episodes. No, well, it had a season, that. but it was oh, opposite Happy Days. So how ridiculous! Oh, that's is that? right. Yeah, okay, that's but then tough. there was a moment where I saw a YouTube clip of it, and it, and I saw the mom, and she was pregnant. She had yeah. glasses, and I was like, "Holy shit! I've seen this show." So yeah, you might have watched it like in the it. summer when yeah. they had the reruns of it. And I you'd think that's what happened. Seen Happy Days, yeah, because yeah, Clark and Brandon, I like shows with Clark, Clark Brandon Clark was Brandon. also in the okay. Fitzgerald slash Patrick's. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Tied at number ten. With Jimmy, although Jimmy would be 10A, I would have to say. 10A, this, this is, is 10B. 10, 10B. Okay. Mm-hmm. Would be Willie Ames. And he was pretty mm-hmm. darn swoon-worthy as well. He was cute. Oh, yeah. And He's actually, I think he first caught my eye in 1975 in the series The Swiss Family Robinson. I loved mm-hmm. that show. And mm-hmm. he was a main character in that show. And then after that, we got to see him for five seasons on Eight is Enough as Tommy Bradford. 111 episodes. He mm-hmm. was in our living rooms weekly over 111 times, okay? So in terms of teen idols, I would say he is probably the one with the longest stretch on our TV screens. Well, and he was absolutely on Eight is Enough. He was absolutely the heartthrob, the teen heartthrob. He was. Uh, he was David the David was too old for most yep. of us watching, and Nicholas was too young. So, right. yeah. so I mean – he was he had a purpose on that show. Oh, yeah. I mean, regardless of the fact if the real Tom Bradford actually had, you know, a son <laughs> that age named irrelevant. Tommy. Yeah, irrelevant. They put Willie Ames, I mean, his his inclusion in that show was pointed for mm-hmm. to get more girls are oh, and you know, more tween girls to watch. Totally yeah. effective. That mm-hmm. is why I watched the show. What yeah, I watched right. Willie yeah. Ames. <laughs> so I watched it for Mary. Of course you did. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But his um, ubiquitous factor, is that the way I could say it? Ubiquitous. Ubiquity. Mm-hmm. Ubiquity. But ubiquitous. She's using or you, it. Yeah, he was very yeah, ubiquitous. ubiquitous. Okay. Yes. Well, anyway, he was because he was a staple on Battle of the Network Stars. Mm-hmm. Um, and hence, that was one of the reasons I was always Team ABC, except for the one time Jimmy McNichol was on and he was on Team CBS. And I cheered for oh, Team stressful. CBS. But besides very, that, very I stressful. was will- cheering Willie and Team ABC. He had a lot of guest roles, and again, the teen idol must guest role on Love Boat. We've always got to yeah. find him on there. Uh, and they're going to kiss. He's going to find – they're going to give him somebody exactly. to kiss. And when, yeah. gosh, when he or Jimmy McNichol were on, you knew I was tuned in those nights. Okay. Yep. He was also in four movies. You might not have known that, including – Made for TV movies or um, – These other, were actually they all the real motion kind? pictures. <laughs> okay. Um, motion pictures. That's what they call them. Yes. Films. Um Two of them, Moving one pictures. was <laughs> talkies, if you will. <laughs> talkies. He was in four talkies. And Willie Eames didn't even need to talk for me to watch him, to be honest. Um, just shake that poodle hair. <laughs> that's right. And and his almost naked body in Paradise, which he starred with oh. Phoebe Cates. It was kind of a B-level Blue Lagoon. I totally yeah, remember that's that movie. right. Yeah. Should we move on to number nine? Let's do it. Yeah. Sure. Okay. 
Um, we also have two people in the number nine spot. And again, just because there are some people who really deserve to be on this list, but we had more than 10 people. <laughs> and you can't have a list that's like the top 12 people of all time. You can't. That doesn't work. So we have two people in the number nine spot. The first one in the number nine spot is Rick Springfield. I'm begging you. So U.S. audiences were introduced to Rick Springfield when he came on the scene as Dr. Noah Drake on the soap opera General Hospital, while simultaneously dropping the number one hit, Jesse's Girl, in 1981. I mean, that was teen idol magic right there, that Dr. Noah Drake was oh. bringing as Jesse's Girl. That's just almost too much to bear. He followed that up with four more top ten hits. I've done everything for you. You've done nothing for me. And then also, don't talk to strangers, baby. Don't I should actually say the title because that will probably get cut and then we won't have any. Okay, so I've done everything for you. Don't talk to strangers. And it's an affair of the heart. Affair of the heart. And then love somebody. I can't remember how that one goes. How does love somebody go? I don't know. I heard okay, it, maybe so they, I know. they stumped us. Um, so those were the four top ten hits that he had. He disappeared in 1985 after his first son was born. And he did that both to be with his family, um, but also to deal with the depression that had really plagued him his entire life. But he him. resurrected himself as one of the most enduring teen idols of all time. So now today he's 72 years old and he continues to perform to adoring, screaming fans. He could be the oldest touring teen idol. He never quits and the people never stop coming or screaming and he's adorable. I had no idea he was that old. He's played at, the, at the entertainment center by my house several times. Yes. And he's also a writer. So I read, yes, he wrote he one fiction book that I read maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago. And then I just got his memoir, which was out a while ago, but I just got it at a used bookstore. I haven't read it yet, but um, he's a great writer. So I'll be interested. He's really quite see. a Renaissance man, actually. Yes. And his social media feed is very entertaining and very authentic. He has lots of, you know, facing the camera videos and things like that. He talks to his fans. He's very responsive. People still love him. They really oh, do. That's great. That is great. Well, you ready for the tie? Yeah. Oh, yes. Sharing the number nine spot with Rick Springfield is Bobby Sherman. If you were to check out the magazine stands during the 60s and early 70s, no doubt that Bobby Sherman's face would catch your eye. Um, I did a rough count uh, on the, uh, the interwebs or whatever, and I saw that he graced the cover of Tiger Beat alone more than 30 times. I lost. I stopped wow. counting after 30. That's high. That was That's high. That's very high. When you consider there are only 12 issues a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I was counting someone like the Tiger Beat special. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, counts. that counts. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, but you figured his career was pretty much late 60s to early 70s. And I think 69 yeah. to 71 were kind of the years that um, he was mm -hmm. really on there. So yeah. um, he was best known for his music and his television career. Get a load of this. From 1969 to 1972, he made seven albums. I was trying to what? figure that out. Like, that's they cranked albums out a lot more, a lot 
yeah, more they quickly did. back then. It wasn't yeah. like mm-hmm. every year or two years you'd hear from someone. And there would be a lot of hits from each of those yes, albums, Yes, exactly. Too. And all but two of those seven albums were in the top 100. Twelve singles from those albums charted like, Julie, 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 do you love do me? Do you love me? And Easy Come, Easy song. Go. He starred in the ABC television show, Here Come the Brides. Do you guys remember yeah. that show? I do. No, I was oh. a baby. You need to go back and watch them because I realized when I went back and watched some clips, his brother, I think it was in the show, oh. is David Soul. <gasps> what? Wait, can you watch those somewhere? Uh, well, I was watching clips. I don't know if you can watch the whole uh, episode. Probably like probably on not. MeTV. I those. did not know that. I know. And they have a duet where they sing together. Oh, on God. I know. Please find that and put that in the show notes. Okay. We will do that. Because okay. talk about two cutie patooties, and no I was kidding. a David Soul fan, um, but he didn't make the top ten. Spoiler no, alert! Sorry. No, he only <laughs> yeah. had one hit. Okay, I was last week's year old when I <laughs> discovered Bobby Sherman. <laughs> I was, and now I'm like he's dreamy. He's he's. Dreamy. I want to put posters of him on my he's so wall. Cute. Not <sighs> not current day. Is he dead yeah. or not dead? I don't even know. No. No, he's still but alive. I but. want to put like 1969 Bobby Sherman posters on my wall. That's I I completely missed boat on Bobby Sherman because I was born his in 1969. Blue eyes. Oh, those so his eyes. blue eyes. Are I mean, so I'd certainly stunning. heard of him. Yeah, and I certainly knew titles of his songs. But I I think like I told you guys last week, if Bobby Sherman was like my Starbucks barista uh, in 1960, <laughs> like if 1970 Bobby Sherman was serving me coffee last week, I would have not known. Like, I yeah. never took the time to look at him. I knew who his, his name was, and now I can't stop looking at him. Oh, yes. And he He's, also famously went on to become, like, a totally normal human. Right. He, oh, nice. He did. He's, um, he got his paramedic certificate and worked for the LAPD and um, hmm. the emergency services with them. So he, um, he kind of knew, I think, um, when his yeah, so time was, the was up and he'd done what he wanted to do and was ready to, wow. to lead a normal life. And according to Ann Moses, who actually was the editor of um, Tiger Beat from, the, from 1966 to about 72, she says he was probably the most grounded of all the teen idols and was always super gracious oh, with his time. Time when she would need to interview him, he wouldn't just like talk to her in between scenes of some TV show he was on. He would go to lunch with her. He would mm-hmm. take her out to lunch and spend like two hours talking to her and answering her questions. And actually, she wrote um, a memoir about her time as uh, the editor called Meow, My Groovy Life with Tiger Beat Teen Idols. <laughs> and he wrote the foreword for that. So oh, that's nice. Cool. nice. Yes. Yeah. And Bobby Sherman is he is responsible for the very first time I put on the crushologist hat. Because I I didn't know about Bobby Sherman really until the 90s. Like, I saw him next to David Cassidy, but I didn't know that he was a famous person. I had no idea. Um, And I was talking with a colleague in the library, this is in the 90s, about her daughter's crush on Leonardo DiCaprio. And she spoke in such validating terms about it. And she said she was honoring this moment in her daughter's life because of her own very serious crush on Bobby Sherman. And so she was the one who introduced me to this concept that these crushes that we have serve a developmental purpose for us. They're they're like our practice boyfriends. And I was so taken with that idea. And so Bobby Sherman allowed her to understand and lovingly parent her daughter because she remembered her own feelings and mm-hmm. knew they were real. Mm-hmm. Thank so you, Bobby sweet. Sherman. Yeah. That's, That's nice. Right. You are one good guy, Bobby. 
I know. We like and you. Guys. I didn't think I could love you anymore. <laughs> uh, okay, moving on to our number eight top teen idol of the Tiger Beat era. Um, and at number eight is John Travolta, someone we are still seeing, and in my opinion, have seen way too much of over the past mm-hmm. couple of decades. But this isn't about my feelings, um, or it isn't about the past two decades, <laughs> or three. So let's go back to the 70s, um, and let's talk about John Travolta, who, as we know, starting in 1975, was Vinnie Barbarino and Welcome Back, Cotter, for four seasons. In um, November of 1976, he stars in The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. In 1977, of course, probably one of his top two famous roles, he's Tony in Saturday Night Fever, which he was um, one of the youngest Academy Award nominees for Best Actor in a Motion Picture for. Um, Then it follows that up. I mean, how do you follow that up? But he does. He follows know, it up with Danny tough. Zuko in Greece in 1978, 1980. He's in a movie with Deborah Winger called Urban Cowboy, not quite as well received as his previous, but still decent. Um, and then, as we know, goes on to do a whole bunch of more things. But because we're stopping in 1981, this is where we stop. Um, so let's talk his hysteria factor. Huge. I mean, his pants, hips, and strut in Saturday Night Fever alone get enough hysteria to firmly place him in our top 10, I think. But honestly, mm-hmm. he was enormously squeal-worthy, even as Vinnie Barbarino. I mean, those turtlenecks, you guys. That's when I remember yeah. him the most. That's when I remember mm-hmm. people being – I remember people being in love with Vinnie Barbarino oh, yeah. almost more than I, in, than I remember them being in love with John Travolta. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, his ubiquity level, fairly high, right? In 1975 to 79, he's in TV movies. He's on the radio. His Grease mm-hmm. album, uh, the, all those songs that he sang in were, were on the radio. Um, and he was all over, you know, he was on our, he was all over the movies, basically. Um, and remember in those days, movies, they stuck around for a long, long time. You right. know, Saturday Night Fever was probably in the theater for two years, as was Grease. So he could have been in the theaters with Saturday Night Fever and Grease simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And he did also, uh, speaking of ubiquity level, he was also on the radio besides just being in Greece. In 1976, did you know John Travolta had a hit single? was called Let Her In, and it got to number 10. Gonna let her in. Gonna let her in. Number 10? Wow. That is the worst so song. That, so that means that it's played a lot. That is not yeah. a good song. Um, I have that album, by the way, and yeah, I always say... It was an say, album? There were enough oh, yes, songs to have a yes. whole album? It was a whole yeah. album. And I always say about that album, like, I don't need to listen to this album. I just need to know that it exists. <laughs> right. That's all. Um, so, um, Salesforce, I think the Saturday Night Fever and Grease albums alone make oh, this yeah. a huge score. For John Travolta. And then cover domination, not quite as high as others on our list, but from 1977 to 1979, he certainly graced covers like numbering in the double digits, um, as well as he showed up on other magazines like People. I don't know. I'm just going to throw out there. He was probably on, you know, Life Newsweek. (laughs) Well, and that's because because he was really an adult. Huge. 
Yeah. So he Mm -hmm. would, because he's not a teenager or, you know, teenager adjacent, Mm -hmm. he probably would be less Tiger Beat worthy and more People Magazine worthy. Well, and let's not forget, while filming The Boy in the Plastic Bubble in 76, he starts this May-December romance with actress Diana Hyland, which was very documented. So Mm -hmm. that he was... he was even more in front of our faces because of that romance yeah. than his um, personal life was in our faces. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that was number eight. Now um, we're going to move on to number seven. And now a pause for station identification. You guys, isn't it great how some of our favorite teen idols are still around today, performing and looking great, like Donnie and Sean? It is. I wish there was a way they could learn about our society, maybe even be a guest on our show one day. There is. What? There is? How? If everyone who is listening would just take two minutes to follow our show where they're listening, rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts if they are listening there, and share their love of our show with friends so our society grows, I just know that one day Sean Cassidy and Donnie Osmond will hear about the Pop Culture Preservation Society and fall in love with us. I mean it. But what about Jimmy McNichol? Will he hear about it too? Well, only if people do all those things, but also sign up for our fun PCPS Gen X news, which they can do on our website at poppreservationists.com. Jimmy told me that that was the only way he'd be in. He's so supportive. (laughs) (laughs) And now back to our show. Number seven, we had to give, we had to give number seven to, um, to Michelle because mm-hmm. we, Carolyn and I could not cheat on Sean Cassidy. That's right. Okay. So Michelle, who's in our and number since seven I'm Sean spot? Cassidy's sister-in-law, those of you listening right. know that mm-hmm. um, to be true. Um, and by the way, people, when I say know that to be true, um, I'm not really his sister-in-law. That actually has confused some people. <laughs> oh, are you kidding? Are, yes. Do people think that's you're really serious? a sister? I am not really his sister-in-law. If you go back and listen to several of our podcast episodes, it's because my sister claimed him, claimed him as her crush. So I just had to look at him as my sister's husband. So I always consider myself his sister-in-law. He's just, um, okay. You're his 1977 sister-in-law. Correct. So at number seven is Leif Garrett. I am having to separate my own opinions here because I always thought he looked dirty. But I, thought he was I dirty am too. definitely, I know listeners, I know I'm definitely in the minority. I know Leaf was huge. I know many of you listening have feelings. So mm-hmm. don't yell at me right now. Don't send me letters. We put um, him on the list. Yeah. We put him on the Gosh. list. He and he, he deserves his place on <laughs> he deserves his place on the list because listen, yeah, he does. hysteria was impressive given that he yeah. looks like a dirty pirate. <laughs> but for that's <laughs> that bandana thing that he wears. Uh, no, that's what he wears now. Oh, oh. He didn't wear right, it then, right, but right, his right. hair was still dirty. He okay. still it's looks the, dirty. I think to it's me. the hooded eyes that made me think he was a bad boy, and that scared me. Because for real, it was like, it was like teen girls were separated into two teams from 1976 to 1978. Mm -hmm. You were team Leaf or team Sean. The ones who liked the bad boys who smelled like discontent. And then there were the (laughs) ones who liked the good boys who looked like they showered and actually loved Mm -hmm. their mama. Mm -hmm. Those were the two teams. That's perfect. Yeah. Although my sister loved both of them, which actually explains a lot. Um, (laughs) Oh, oh. she had posters of both of them on her wall. Um, so, so Leaf's ubiquity factor. Um, listen, 
high, but there's people on this list that I feel like their ubiquity level was higher because although Leaf had a skate hit skateboarding movie and he did <laughs> want to take Buddy's virginity on family, it was really just his albums, I feel, that were his moneymaker. Oh, I, really I think do. So too. I mean, yeah. He, it he was showed up on our TV album. shows, but nothing like he had a hit series or yeah. he, right? He had that hit skateboard right. movie, but then he was just on little things. He was just well, he did and have a skateboard movie. Oh, he did? Was that, um, the skateboard movie, was that a made-for-TV movie? I, I, I no, really I think it was a movie movie. Oh, skateboard okay. USA or skate, I forgot. Skateboard, oh, I forgot. Okay. Um, um, but I think he had. see him on specials a, and stuff. He had a TV show called Three for the Road where they oh. lived in a Winnebago. And Vince Van Patten, I think, was his brother. Or something. Oh, and he did the shower for a year. Probably didn't. Um, okay. That's why like, I think their like mom that. had died, and the dad and the sons went on this like trip mm-hmm. in a Winnebago around the country. Oh, that totally oh, sounds like something I would have watched. Excellent. How yeah. Not know that. It had well, Leif his Garrett, cover domination. Yeah. Good point. His cover Is it domination. Leif or Leif? I'm going to interrupt. Is it Leif, Leif or Leaf? It's Leif. It's Leif. Leaf. Yeah. Like a leaf. Like a like a. No, it's like leaf. a crunchy leaf falling from a tree. Okay. Well, I don't know. No, Kristen is saying it's leaf. It's no. I'm saying it's leaf. Oh, it's you're saying, leaf. saying it's leaf. I yeah. always call I'm them leaf. leaf. So, okay, leaf. Yeah. Okay, I stand corrected. In Norway, everyone. they Sorry, say everyone. leaf. Oh, yeah. what do they say in France, Kristen? <laughs> yeah, lulu. <laughs> Okay, oh, funny. so Leif's, <laughs> and I apologize, I'm sure, how many people do you think have been yelling at me since I started number seven? Yes, I know, we're pissing a lot of people mm-hmm. off oh now. My no God. disrespect so to the Leif Garrett sorry. fans. Listen. And right now the Leif Garrett fans are screaming either Leif or Leif. <laughs> They're right. both, all of them are correcting us. Yes. Okay, so Leif's cover <laughs> domination was high. His shaggy yeah. head took up so much space Ugh. on the covers of Tiger Beat. And his poster count inside each issue was impressive. Like sometimes I have a whole bunch of old issues of Tiger Beat and I can open them. And in some issues, he has like three color posters in one issue. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there you go. I have a fun fact for you guys. You want to hear a fun fact yes, about please. Leif? Oh, yeah. Okay. So Leif Garrett and Willie Ames were almost interchangeable. And I'm not just talking about their poodly hair. Leif played the role of Leonard Unger, the son of Felix Unger, Tony Randall, on the ABC series The Odd Couple, that a part that had been previously played by Willie Ames. And as we know, they were both buddies, Paramount, Paramours, Paramours, right? On Family. On Family. Oh, that's right. Yes. Oh, those are some, Mm -hmm. that's some. So I'm wondering if the casting directors were like, ah, shaggy poodly hair. Yeah, dude, you're in. Yeah. Do you have you another look, poodly guy? Like him. They don't look anything alike, please. And she should have. It's just their hair. Willie Ames. He was only on a couple episodes. And then, oh, I'm just really disappointed me. It was crushing. It was crushing. It was. And now in the number six spot, who do we have, Michelle? In the number six spot, we have Scott Bayo. Now you all know my cousin Chachi. How you doing, blue eyes? What are you selling today, shrimp? Oh, no, I sold all the shrimp to Alfred. But for you. I got no smear lipstick. We can test it out later. Wah, wah, wah. Now, everyone, we need to pause for the recurring PCPS Bayo disclaimer. You guys, seriously, I might just record this so going forward we can save time and we can just slide this sucker in. All right, here we go. (laughs) 
The PCPS does not currently or has never endorsed the adult Scott Baio. When discussing Scott Baio on this podcast, we stand firmly in our 1977 to 1981 shoes and definitively separate the Baio of then with the Baio of now. While we respect everyone's feelings about Scott Baio, we do not have to agree with them. Hashtag forever Chachi. Hashtag it's how we can sleep at night. Thank you. Chachi forever. Okay. So Scott Baio, my dream boy, my, my everything, my world, my heart, my soul, my being, the goo <laughs> that hold, held all my organs together, basically took over after Sean Cassidy. He blew in during the Sean hysteria in 1977 and appealed to those who Sean might have seemed a tiny bit too old for, me. But then he stuck around after Sean made his disappearing act in 1978. Bayo's hysteria level was enormous. Enormous. No, wait. No, wait. Actually, that was just the hysteria level coming from my bedroom between the years of 1978 and 1981. But actually, you guys, while girls went crazy for him, I will say that I have photographic evidence that it wasn't nearly Sean level, even in like 1978 or 1979. Because if you'll all remember, I saw him perform live at Magic Mountain in my dreaded dog ears. And I have pictures from a distance. Because if you'll remember from our crushes episode, I was worried if I sat too close to the stage, he'd see me and want to marry me. And while I loved him <laughs> with my whole heart, my whole being, getting married at age nine was just too scary. <laughs> so anyway, I have pictures of the stage. And while there is definitely a crowd of girls around the stage, you guys, it's definitely not a mob. And this was in um, like 1978 or 79. So he's okay. playing the, the, um, theme park circuit. Um, but however, Gary Marshall's son tells a story of when they'd go do press for happy days, the mobs of girls chasing Scott Bayo were terrifying. Like he couldn't leave the building because he would get chased down. So, um, I think the hysteria so level was still big. Yeah. That counts. Um, his ubiquity level was was decent. I don't think it was huge because we mainly saw Scott Bayo on our screens. Um, he, of course, was Chachi, which is really all we need to know. But he had other fairly big acting roles. He made a screen debut in Bugsy Malone. He was in several mm. after-school specials, especially the classic The Boy Who Drank Too Much. Oh, um, yeah. Several, several, multiple um appearances on Battle of the Network Stars. Remember the from our episode where Scott Bayo mm-hmm. thought he set all those records? Um, he had that big, that big important role as the manager in Skate Town, USA. Um, but, <laughs> the, the manager of the skating yeah. rink. Yeah. No, he was the manager. Wasn't he the manager of Maureen McCormick and her yeah, brother? Yeah, he was like yeah. the... the oh, yeah. oh! He was like going to be their <laughs> manager. Their top. Like, yeah. wasn't, um, he no- but, wasn't he nominated for an Oscar for that? <laughs> for, <laughs> I'm sure he says he probably says he was. But you guys, actually, shows like Joni Loves Chachi and Charles in Charge were post-1981. So those don't count in this this ranking. Um, And even his stellar album, which I still own to this day, Scott Baio, wasn't released until 1982. Um, However, cover domination, this is where Baio earns his spot in this list. Because, Mm -hmm. you guys, I'm not sure there was a Tiger Beat cover from 1978 to 1983 or even 84 without him on the cover. They needed him. I needed him. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. That's true. Scott Baio was on every single Mm -hmm. magazine. Not just Tiger Beat. He was on the cover of every single magazine. God. 
And much like I'm sure you guys can do, I know Carolyn, you can do with Jimmy McNichol, Kristen, you can do with multiple people. (laughs) I see those old, you know, I have these old issues. And when I see these posters of him from around 1978, oh, I just, my insights turned to mush still. I know. Oh gosh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, though, again, I'll refer back to our disclaimer. That's because I can stand in my, in my 10 year old shoes still. Mm -hmm. Sure. It's a big, it's a big difference to how I feel when I see pictures of him today. Yeah. Those are two different people. Those are two different. We're all about Chachi here. We're all about Chachi. Okay. In the number five spot. So in making this top 10 list, this is my disclaimer now, I had to address my own biases because although it is not yet peer reviewed for its scientific accuracy, this list ceases to be meaningful if I think my feelings are the most important. So the feelings that I had for the person in the number five spot were so big that it feels like he really should be number one on all the lists. Whatever list you have, (laughs) he should be the number one on that list. But if I'm using the Crushology scale that I made up, then I have to keep my feelings in check. So in the number five spot is my beloved Andy Gibb. And Amy Lively from our favorite podcast called For the Record, the 70s, she commented on our Teen Idol post this week on Instagram by saying that Andy needs to be near the top because of his massive chart success. Mm -hmm. Massive, yes. Historic, even. He had eight singles reach the top 20, three of which reached number one, I Just Want to Be Your Everything, which was the most played record of 1977. Love is Thicker Than Water, which actually bumped his brother Stan Alive out of the number one spot, and Shadow Dancing, which was Billboard's number one song of the entire year of 1978. He was the first male solo artist to have three consecutive number one singles on the Billboard Hot 100, all of which happened in less than one year, between July 1977 and July 1978. And he's the only performer in history to have his first three singles all go to number one, selling over 15 million records by the time he was 21. And that is a record that still stands today. So all of these sales were sort of driven by a hysteria amongst the people who couldn't get enough of his earnest, freckled face and his long, beautiful feathered hair. He was, I think, a natural stepping stone for people after Sean Cassidy because he was like... He was like puppy love plus chest hair. Like he was a sweetheart who fucks. Like <gasps> he may not have been a virgin. Um, and he started appearing. He was just, but he wasn't a bad boy. You were just a little bit like, hmm, he might not be a virgin. Um, and that was at that time, maybe a little interesting. So he started appearing on covers of Tiger Beat in June of 1978, and you can see him pretty much every month up until the beginning of 1980. But interestingly enough, not as much on Tiger Beat. It was more Teen Beat, Teen Life, Co-Ed, and even People Magazine. So he was reaching people outside the Teeny Bobber audience as well. He was a real legit star. Um and he was described, I just love this, you guys. He was described by people who knew him when he was little as a cheeky little lad with a heart of gold. Mm-hmm. Aww. R.I.P. Andy. Yeah. That's, he was my uh, husband. I mean, and we that's were going to walk around our apartment in our bathrobes together. There's so, so many of these people mm-hmm. that we can say gone too soon. But man, oh, yeah. he is, that is such a tragedy. How old was he? 30? He was 30 years old when he yeah. died. Oh. Yeah. 
A lot of sadness. Just imagine that. what we have. I mean, to to sound selfish, mm-hmm. what the world has missed out on. Oh, oh yeah. Gosh, yes. I mean, obviously, it goes without saying what Andy Gibb has missed out on. Yeah. I just yeah. mean what he still had left to do. Yeah. If that's what he had accomplished at age 30, and he very well might have said, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to pack it in mm-hmm. for the next 20 years. And, you know, look at Sean Cassidy, though, comes back and he's writing and directing yeah. and performing again. And I just feel like Andy Gibb, God, he just wasn't done. Well, and if you recall from um, one of our very fused ep- few episodes, How Deep Is Your Love for the Bee Gees, was really about that HBO mm-hmm. documentary about the Bee Gees. And in that, they reveal that they were on the verge right. of inviting Andy Gibb to be the fourth Bee Gee. Mm-hmm. So we would have had this resurrection of the Bee Gees that would have included him, and that could have been the rest of his life. It would have been a beautiful thing to watch unfold. Oh, that's so sad. I know. Carolyn's face right now. I oh know. my goodness. <laughs> but that's okay because I get to talk about the number four spot. Look. <laughs> it's actually on her screen right now. Number four is hand. on Carolyn's uh-huh. screen. Holding in the palm face. of my hand. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the number four spot goes to Sean Cassidy. Okay. We'll all take a breath. Because, I mean, come on, where do we begin? Mm-hmm. Actually, you can go back. This is and- also one of those places where I had to address my own biases. I had to, I had to hold back. Sure. Okay, sorry. But I think when I've looked at your entire list that this is the right place for Sean Cassidy at number oh, four. Oh, thank you for that, Carolyn. You're very welcome. To many of us, though, I'll have to say that he is the teen idol. And he was, <laughs> for many of us, our first real celebrity crush. Mm-hmm. In terms of ubiquity, we could see Sean on our TV as Joe Hardy on ABC's The Hardy Boys, and he was on there from 1977 to 1979, and then in one season of Breaking Away. Sadly, it didn't last more than one season. But he was cute in that. He was he so He was adorable. Cute. I can't believe we didn't watch that show. While we watched Sean on our screens on The Hardy Boys, we could hear him coming through our speakers or our giant foam headphones, in my case, (laughs) as we listened to one of the six albums he made from 1976 to 1980. God, six albums. That's crazy. I know. No wonder he was burned out. No, really. He Mm -hmm. sold out more than 27 concerts during this time, with the last being at the Houston Astrodome, where he played to more than 55,000 screaming fans. Okay. That would be hysteria for you right there, people. 55,000 screaming fans. We're not at, again, Six Flags Over Texas singing our one hit on the stage under the log flume. And do you remember what he said in the concert about those moments of hysteria Mm -hmm. and and the people throwing things at him? Mm -hmm. He said, y'all are crazy. (laughs) He said, y'all so funny." Yeah, he was terrified of the people in the audience, and and everybody would bring their little Kodak Instamatic camera with the little flash cube on it, and then when they ran out of film, they would pull the flash cubes off and they would throw them on the stage, I guess in love. But he said they were super sharp yes. and they hurt. He's yes. getting beamed by flash cubes. Yes, and these Nothing are the people like they're just like. so hysterical that they know they don't even know that what they're doing is well, violent. exactly. I mean, that's I think the basis of hysteria is you lose all control. Like there's no common sense to the things that you're doing. You're not always thinking them through. And I would argue that after his brother, he has the highest 
uh, I mean, in the 70s, since we're only going yeah. until 1981, he absolutely has the highest hysteria fact, mm-hmm. like score, hysteria factor oh, score. Oh, definitely. People could not contain of anybody yeah. other than his brother. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. It was like That's he on passed our list. the baton. That's on our list. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I would venture to say that that hysteria factor is still high as evidenced Mm -hmm. by our trip recently to see him live in Chicago, and someone throws a bra on stage as he is singing. Uh So again, people doing some wild and crazy things because of their devout love for that man. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. I think he wins the category of Salesforce, you guys, and merch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to give that to Sean. Mm -hmm. Okay. We've got, if you just, all you have to do is look at the Sears Wishbook catalog from 1979, where you can see his face on nightgowns, on t-shirts, on satin jackets. You can see his embroidered signature on the, yes, the back pocket um, of jeans. Your dungarees. Yes, of your, that's exactly right. And then if you flip to the toy section, you'd be able to find his Joe Hardy doll. He had a lunchbox, he had jewelry, he had posters, he had books, he had uh, trading cards, the list goes on. Oh, yeah, record Even albums, the Halloween guitars, costume. Radios. Do you remember the Sean oh, Cassidy yes, mask? Yes. That's creepy. Yes. The that, Sean Cassidy plastic mask. Merch to the nth degree. He really yeah, was. He was. And he was a part of not one, but two fan clubs. You could be in the Sean Cassidy fan club, or you could be in the Hardy Boys fan club. So, yeah, he had both of those markets covered. And Tiger Beat covers. I'm betting he might be the winner if we actually could count up every single one. Mm -hmm. Um, I stopped at about 45 when I was counting. So that is a lot of covers. Yeah. Um, Yes. But um, he still is at number four because we've got Mm -hmm. three that can beat him, according to our pro pressurologist. So who who could possibly be one, two, and three if Sean Cassidy is number four? It's big, you guys. Okay. It's big. Okay. okay so Bring in the number three spot, we have, bum, bada, bum, it is said that Davy Jones of the Monkees is responsible for saving Tiger Beat magazine. just four issues their first four issues their funds were drying up and they weren't going to make it and then they went to a screening of a new tv show about four mischievous lads who play (laughs) in a band they saw davy and at the last minute they added his picture to the top corner of their fifth issue that issue sold out putting the magazine in the black and Davey was pretty much on every cover after that point. Wow. 16 Magazine has said that the monkeys drove their circulation higher than it ever had been or ever would be again. They went from a million readers a month to four million readers a month because of Davy Jones. Wow. Who was, you know, kind of universally acknowledged as the cute one of the group. And yes. I'm sorry, guys, but he was the most popular one. I think yeah. can we just say oh, that. I'm sorry. For sure. What year? What? Tell me what year this was. 1967. Okay. 1967. The show was on from an, in um, 
67 and 68, and the show ended in 1968. And Davy Jones, he's like the definition of a teen idol. He's very slight and smooth with a fresh, adorable face, making him both cute but also unthreatening. A lot of teen idols were a little bit feminine for that reason. He was innocent, but unlike the teen idols of the 50s, he was a little bit cheeky, and he was up for being a little bit naughty, which to me, I found very attractive. Um, He was everything that prepubescent girls were really attracted to. And in 2008, Yahoo Music deemed him the number one teen idol of all time. Wow. I I have a question for you, Krista. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. we know that Davy Jones was like your first crush, right? Your Mm -hmm. first, first crush. But you're born, you were born in 1968. So when you're Mm -hmm. crushing on him, I mean, at earliest, this is like what, 1972? Because we all had our first crushes Mm -hmm. from like age four years old, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. So are you crushing on 1972 Davy Jones or are you crushing on 1967 Davy Jones? This is a very, um, this is a, a very interesting concept because during its run, the show pulled in about 20 million viewers a week, but they started gaining more fans after they broke up because mm-hmm. the show continued in syndication. I was watching it in syndication. I did not know that the monkeys that I was watching on TV were not their current iteration. Yeah, okay. I right. had no idea. And it happened again in the 80s with MTV, mm-hmm. and it happened again in the 90s with Nickelodeon. So I went to a monkeys concert in 1995, and the stadium was full of teenage girls. And I'm like, what? what are they doing here? And so I finally stopped somebody. I stopped this poor teenage girl and I was like, why are you here? What is happening? And she said, Nickelodeon. And so these girls were falling in love with Davy Jones with the 1967-68 iteration of Davy Jones. They were fans all over again. And also, let's not forget that he stars in the most rerun episode of The Brady Bunch ever called Getting Davy Jones. And did you guys know that in 1967, the monkeys outsold both the Beatles and the Rolling Stones? Really? They, wow. re- they released four albums in a single year, which is a record that still has not been broken. Um, so they sold like 16 million albums, seven and a half million singles, and all of this was in just two years' time. That's it. Wow. Yeah. They must wow. have been exhausted. How do you I know. do that? And those, do you guys remember those... Um, if you watch the show, you remember the scenes where, um, like the live, fo- live concert footage scenes or the scenes where they're running away from the girls from yes. concerts yes. in yes. Paris or in London. Oh, I was so wrapped up in those scenes mm-hmm. and I'm trying to figure out why that was so attractive to me. And all I can figure out is that they were mirroring how I felt or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But those guys running away from girls. So funny. Yeah. I couldn't get enough. Mm -hmm. I loved it. Well, my goodness. So if he was deemed the number one teen idol of all time, who could possibly be in our number two spot? I know. I know. I'll tell you. I'm going to tell you. In our number two spot is Donnie Osmond. And they called it puppy first crush. I did not place him in number two, but I am not going to argue with it. You guys talk about staying power. Donny Osmond just released his 65th album. 
He's God. come for Broadway. Bless He's won Dancing America. with the Stars. He's also currently selling out a Vegas residency at age 63. But let's go back to 1967 to 1981 mm-hmm. because those are our parameters, people. We're sticking yep. with them. Okay. So hysteria. Basically, Donny Osmond gave new meaning to the color purple, correct? <laughs> <laughs> and since he basically became an idol at age five, by 1967, when he was only 10, until he shattered our hearts in 1978 by getting married at age 20, he was sort of the baby-faced dream. Oh, yeah, he yes. was. I mean, yes. along with Davy Jones. I mean, Davy Jones mm-hmm. kind of was off the covers by early mm-hmm. 70s or maybe even by like 67, 60, when Donny mm-hmm. Osmond kind of swooped in. Um, and he was just a young boy then, but he was getting so much exposure because he was singing with his brothers. Very he quickly, so he cute. broke away oh, gosh, so cute. and mm-hmm. started singing on his own and with his sister. Um, so ubiquity, obviously. We've got his music. We've got variety shows, the Donnie and Marie show from 1976 to 1979, countless specials, concerts, albums. He was everywhere for that decade. I mean, he still is. Um, and then Salesforce, ugh, sort of like Sean Cassidy. Between yeah. he and Marie and then Donnie alone, his face adorned everything from lunchboxes to dolls to socks to creepy Halloween costumes. It could be <laughs> Donnie and Marie with a plastic mask for Halloween. And then let's go back to his albums. From 1967 to 1981, he had nine studio albums alone. That's not counting the albums he had with the Osmonds. Just Donny Osmond had nine. Yes. Yeah. And cover domination, just enormous. Um, From the early 70s until 1978, which is after he got married, slowly and then very quickly, (laughs) Donny was absent from, and I have a whole bunch of Tiger Beat magazines from 1978, and it is hilarious how they're still trying so hard to, to like pimp Donny Osmond for us because they have all these pictures of him with Debbie and they just go on and on about how, how, what it's so beautiful and how, oh, of course he's still going to love his fans and they're trying to just (laughs) do such a hard sell job on him to us still. But really everybody was like, oh, what? You're 20. You just married this cute little 19 year old girl. Mm -hmm. None of us knew it was coming. I mean, boom, shortest engagement. And like that was out of left field, right? And um, she needed more notice. Michelle mm-hmm. really needed more notice for yes. this to happen. Yes. <laughs> and so she could prepare herself. Also, that's how the, the, the Donnie and Marie show only lasted another year after he got married because yeah, all true. of a sudden everybody was like, wait, you're married? Moving on. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but there you go with Donnie Osmond. He was our, and n- I, he is number two for a reason. Um, I just think that he, he had longevity. Right. I think he he deserves to be here because he started so young that it gave him more than one opportunity to be an actual teenaged teen idol. With the Osmonds, he's a little boy. When he does Donnie and Marie, he's now he's still a teenager, mm-hmm. but he's all on his own and he's getting a whole bunch of new people. It's almost like he had two careers before he was 20 years old. I think it's now time for to reveal the number one teen idol of the Tiger Beat era. And in our number one spot, I don't think the world will ever again see the level of hysteria inspired by David Cassidy. Sure 
He was the first star to be globally marketed. I had never really considered that. And so mm -hmm. when he finished shooting the Partridge family for the week, they would put him on a private jet and they would speed him away to a concert in Japan or Europe or Australia where the hysteria reached such levels that the Australian government actually considered deporting him. Oh, my gosh. Because it was getting to be dangerous. Um in New York City, the day that Madison Square Garden puts his rec his um, concert tickets on sale, they sell out immediately in a single day, and riots erupt in the streets of New York City. Mm. Not at the concert, but the day that they sell the, the tickets. Just because to get they tickets, sell out yeah. so fast. Just oh to gosh. get tickets. Between 1970 and 1975, his fan club was the largest in history, mm -hmm. including that of the Beatles or Elvis combined. Uh, combined what? yes combined there were 27 hit singles 14 albums 24 golden platinum recordings and that does not include the stuff he did with the partridge family which was its own industry that alone had so many hits like 89 singles something oh crazy gosh. and the partridge family spawned lunch boxes coloring books board games trading cards even a series of mystery books oh, and yeah. he gets included in all of that and even though he didn't see much of that merchandising money, he was still the world's highest paid performer by the time he was 21 years old. Golly. All I'm it's thinking huge, in my guys. head as you're saying all these things, the only thing that has replayed in my head about 10 times is that poor kid. I that know. poor kid. That's all That's I keep a lot thinking. Of pressure. Not like, how awesome. Oh, how I cool. Know. I just keep thinking that poor kid. I know. Well, he famously walked away from performing after a massive stampede at a concert in England in 1974 in which 800 people were injured mm. and a 14-year-old girl was killed. <sighs> not to bring the party down, but that's not going to go well for a person who feels responsible for it. And he did. Yeah. Of course. How could you mm -hmm. not? I know. It was really horrible for him. It's almost like his whole career is kind of like a fairy tale, like like he had the special sauce, right? And he had so much of it that it became dangerous. Mm -hmm. And yes, he was mercilessly marketed, but his looks combined with his talent and his charisma, it was mm -hmm. historically explosive, essentially. Yes. And I don't know that the producers of the Partridge family knew what they had until they did. Well, exactly. I saw yeah. that he they did not even know that he could sing. They were going to yeah. have him lip sync. And mm. then they just heard him singing and thought, oh, maybe we'll let him sing the songs. And so that was yeah. just um, goddipitous, as they say, that he ended right. up, um, yeah, being marketed that way because he could sing. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, his father was Jack Cassidy. Right. Could right. definitely sing. And then he contributed to the meteoric rise of the Partridge family, not just the TV show, but the records, too, and all of mm -hmm. the songs. I mean, that voice, when you listen to David Cassidy's voice, it's so recognizable, and it's so beautiful. It's just one of a kind. It really is. Yeah. He, he was very special. Um, he was in, according to DavidCassidy.com, he was in 63 issues of Tiger Beat, um, including from what I could count at least 20 in a row, like covers Whoa. of Tiger mm -hmm. Beat where he never was off the cover of Tiger Beat for at least 20 issues. Wow. He was everywhere. And he how everywhere. crazy is it for that family that then his half brother comes along <laughs> and basically picks up, picks up where he left off. Yeah. Wouldn't you be kind of scared if you were Sean Cassidy? Yeah. Like, is that mm -hmm. what I want? But well, I think he learned some really important lessons from that too. I do too. And I wonder if that wasn't a contributing factor to him kind of 
after that Houston Astrodome concert, mm-hmm. yeah. kind of knowing like this is the end of my teen idol career. Like I'm, an, yeah. I know when to mm-hmm. call it quits, and I'm not um, not going to push it past its prime. Yeah. And, and then he turned, he just very wisely turned to other things. He yes. was going to do acting. He was going to do writing. He's now famously um, a producer, a writer, a consultant for the show New Amsterdam. And he's very successful. Mm-hmm. He really carved out a beautiful life for himself. Well, he did, as we uh, know, and as a pro- wonderful performer right now, too, mm-hmm. because we've yeah. mm-hmm. seen that a few times. Mm-hmm. Well, I think David Cassidy is definitely a worthy number one for our PCPS top 10 teen idols of the Tiger Beat era list. Um, but we asked our society on Instagram to tell us who they thought was the number one teen idol of all time, not just between 1967 and 1981. And most people shared most of almost all the people we just mentioned. We also got answers ranging from Frank Sinatra and James Dean, very worthy, to Kirk Cameron, not so worthy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we respect, hey, you go, whoever said Kirk Cameron. (laughs) Uh, We have many, 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 many answers for Sean and David. But Mm -hmm. one solid answer that was given again and again that we cannot ignore is Elvis. So I'm going to ask you... Crushologist, mm-hmm. Elvis Presley or David Cassidy? Which That's, one do you think is the biggest teen idol of all time? That's a really not just good the Tiger question. Beat era. All yeah, that's a time. really good question. So Elvis is the king. He will always be the king, and the role he played in teen culture can really never be overstated. Mm-hmm. In fact, he contributed to to the whole creation of the teenager before, before the rock and roll era, there was no such thing as a teenager. There were children and there were adults. And it wasn't until Elvis was like kind of encouraging people to, you know, you can think what you want. You don't have to think the same things that your parents do. We got this in between time. um, That was that people regarded as kind of rebellious. And that was one reason that parents did not like Elvis because he was encouraging their teenagers to be teenagers. But as far as Elvis versus David Cassidy, it's really, it's got to be apples and oranges. It really is because Mm -hmm. Elvis's record sales are huge, but much of that came posthumously from people who never regarded him as a teen idol, including men, a huge following of men who have no interest in him as a teen idol. Um, His fan club numbers never matched David Cassidy's, not even close, even though he had 20 years to gather all of those people. And David Cassidy did that in five. He doubled it. He doubled mm-hmm. the number of Elvis's fan club members in just five years. And I learned just today from Amy Lively on her podcast, For the Record, the 70s, that even the Osmonds had, so they had 11 gold records in just one year, 1972. That's more than the Beatles or Elvis ever did. Elvis had a lot of gold records, but that came over decades and decades and for a different reason than the Osmonds did. That was that those record sales were feeding the hysteria. So the speed of the Osmonds gold records or David Cassidy's fan base, it represents a fever pitch instead of a slow burn. That fever pitch is hysteria. Elvis, of course, had his monumental levels of hysteria to be sure he may have even started the whole notion of hysteria but david cassidy and the osmonds they perfected it they and so he kind of gets i think i think elvis gets special status for this reason he was the first 
of the rock and roll era to turn people into screaming crazed fans. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. maybe it's more like a lifetime achievement award. So it's really hard to do comparisons. I think he gets special status on a lifetime achievement award. I got to put David Cassidy yeah. in the number one spot. He he maintains the number one spot. I think after ever, I think that's a really good way. That's a really good workaround there, crushologist. I but I actually do think I, I'm kidding. I mean that it is it is a workaround, but at the same mm-hmm. time, I fully support it. I think that that's actually makes a lot of sense. Hmm. Hmm. Don't tell the people right. at Graceland I said that though. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. He's right. maybe still alive. Maybe he listens to our podcast. <laughs> he might call in. <laughs> I am the number one teen idol of all time. Well, no matter how they rank, these people were very important to us. There's no doubt. There's just no winning this game. Because at the end of the day, these are highly personal decisions based on feelings rather than numbers. It would be like ranking our husbands. So if your first boyfriend did not make the list, or if you think your first boyfriend should be higher, it only means that the numbers don't adequately reflect your feelings. And numbers and feelings are not friends. So I personally would like to give a hearty thank you to these people who are on our list for being our first teachers. No matter how silly or nonsensical our behavior might appear in the rearview mirror, they allowed us to see and feel what it would be like to be in life. Rest in peace, Davey Jones and Andy Gibb and the dearly departed David Cassidy. You are our forever boyfriends. Thanks, everybody, for listening today. And join us next week when we will be sharing your stories of that iconic Gen X playground, a place where we could play grown up and carefully craft our identities through clothes, books, records, and iron-on t-shirts. The mall. Do we get to um, eat snack on little samples of beef sticks from Hickory Farms while we record that? I hope so. Little cheese cubes? Yeah. Cheese cubes on a toothpick? Perfect. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, And please, please share your love of our podcast and society with everyone you know and everyone you meet. Seriously, everyone. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts and have a moment to help us, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review. It is how others like Amy Poehler and Tina Fey, will find us. (laughs) And make sure you are all signed up for our really fun PCPS news via email that will come straight to your inbox. Just go to our website at poppreservationists.com. Our weekly reader is chock full of fun Gen X stuff that you don't want to miss. In the meantime, let's raise our glasses, courtesy of our friends near the Santa Monica Pier, Jack Tripper, Janet Wood, and Chrissy Snow, to good times. Two happy days. To Little House on the Prairie. Cheers. 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 Information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to me, the Crushologist, and Carolyn and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, I guess there's always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded at Modern Well, a woman-centered co-working space in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you. We get a happy feeling when we're singing a song